As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello, Tim Wyatt here. For the next two weeks, we're dipping back into the Matters of Life and Death archive to bring you an episode we first broadcast last year. It's all about simulation. We live in an era when digital technology is making it increasingly easy and cheap to create fake but compelling images or videos of people, or even entirely artificial human-like personalities. Machine learning tools and progress in artificial intelligence software means that we are closer than ever to things previously only imaginable in sci-fi. Computer programs which can speak to us like a human, or androids which are indistinguishable from real people. In this episode, my dad and I discuss examples of this kind of tech already in the world, what impact it may have in the future as it develops, and how we as Christians should think about these forms of simulated images, relationships, and personalities. Well, hello, John. Uh, Good to speak to you again. Um, today we wanted to have a conversation about uh, simulated relationships uh, and, and, and this really was kicked off for me by uh, deep fakes which I'm sure people will have heard of but uh, for those who haven't uh, a deep fake is, is a, te- a kind of process by which you can uh, simulate a person's face through computer software so that it looks like they're saying and doing something that they never actually said often just taken just from a from a photo of that person's face um, and these have been around for for many years. I mean, and they kind of periodically pop up in, in the in in the kind of public conversation. But most recently, there's been uh, I'm sure some of our listeners might have come across it on social media. Uh, someone on on the social network TikTok who has started making these uncannily accurate deep fakes of Tom Cruise. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of those, John, but they've been kind of floating around and. And it's these little. It's an actor who's kind of dressing and speaking as Tom Cruise, and then they've mapped on Tom Cruise's real face. But it, you know, it's his lips stretch as he's speaking, and his eyebrows move, and the light catches his face all completely flawlessly. And so, if you didn't know what you're looking at, and you weren't looking closer, you might think this is actually really Tom Cruise rather than just a random person in their back garden. Yeah. So I have to say, uh, anyway, it's good to speak to you, Tim. I'm afraid TikTok is not exactly my. Uh... <laughs> my go-to piece of software but i'm i'm very interested in deep fakes um you know the the idea has been around uh, for some years and uh, when it first came out you needed enormous computer power it took it took hours of painstaking uh, pixel by pixel recreation to try to to generate um a, a fake video but 
uh, as computer power increases and software becomes more and more efficient, uh, the astonishing thing now is that you can do this just even on a mobile phone or a, a tablet and, um, and and produce astonishingly effective um, simulated videos where you can you can get an apparent celebrity to to say whatever you want. Mm. And I think the interesting thing about deepfakes, I'm not a, remotely an expert on on the technology, but as far as I understand, it's the key behind it is machine learning and artificial intelligence, whereby they've shown these kind of comp- these artificial uh, intelligence kind of neural networks, you know, millions, if not billions of, of videos of actual human faces. And over time, the, the software learns how human faces move and stretch and, 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 and um, when they're speaking or moving. And that's why when you plug it in a photo of another person, a real person, it can then make sure that the photo, when, when it's mapped onto someone's face, moves and stretches. And, and, and so it's, it's actually happening. It's not that there's a, a graphic artist working there frame by frame, pixel by pixel, moving things around, but it's actually a lot of the, the animation, as it were, is happening automatically behind the scenes. Yeah, that's right. And um, that also means, of course, that the communication of emotion you know so much when we read people's faces we are um, picking up cues about whether someone feels looks tired or distressed or euphoric or depressed or whatever and uh, as as the technology improves the ability to simulate that emotion in faces and communicate emotions becomes better and better mm. and the kind of tom cruise is a slightly kind of silly jokey example of just someone on social media playing around, but we're already seeing. I know, I know you've done some research on this that there that this deep fake technology is actually having some real world applications. Do you want to talk to some of the things that you found? Yeah, one of the fascinating things is that it, uh, it's been discovered by uh, the corporate world as a way of generating um, videos in 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 a ro- range of different um, uh, applications. So there's a um, company called Synthesia which we'll we'll put the link on the um, on on, on the notes to this podcast but uh, it's a commercial company and uh, they're marketing their um, communication technology to big corporate entities and at the bottom they they list some of the companies on their website I'm just going on there BBC Reuters um, and, and, and so on are using this um, and fascinating to go onto their website and see uh, the way that um, an entirely simulated avatar. So you can type in a text, and and this uh, lady appears on a screen, entirely simulated, and she is talking uh, and, and and speaking the text. And so uh, corporate um, executives use this as a way of communicating with their workforce, and they can. Uh, instantaneously translated it into uh, tens, if not hundreds, of different languages, and and, and so on. Mm. And there's this is a kind of dizzying array of applications. I mean, some of their case studies were things like, um, you know, they filmed David Beckham in in real life doing a kind of uh, public health advert about malaria, but he was obviously only speaking in English. And so, rather than just adding subtitles for different languages they just recorded an actor speaking those actual languages and then just deep faked his face so that it, his lips and stuff were moving express actually expressing uh 
the the sound you know the shapes that you make to to speak in those languages and so suddenly you have david beckham not being kind of crudely dubbed where you can see that the 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 voice and the lips don't match up but actually it looks like david beckham now can speak mandarin or or uh, or spanish or, or whatever other language they they dubbed it into and you can see as the technology gets better you start to say well why do we need human artists at all or human mm. actors um you know, producers often complain that the artists need 10 different takes and didn't get it quite right. This way, I can make my actor say exactly what I want and give it exactly the right kind of nuances. So you could imagine people looking at kind of fundraising appeals or charity appeals and, and working out, you know, that actually if we tweak slightly the emotional nuances of this AI, it's going to make a much more appealing a request, a much more effective request than using a human actor. And I think, you know, some of this, we could clearly see some, some positive benefits. You know, it makes it much cheaper to produce videos in other languages, for example, and all that kind of stuff. But I guess what we want to talk about, I think, is some of the the more challenging applications of that. And you've been reading and applying some some of the the theories of a French philosopher writing some time ago. Do you want to talk a bit? Introduce some of that. Yeah. So um, for for quite a long time, I've been fascinated by the work of um, the French postmodern philosopher Jean Baudrillard, um, who. Um, was writing back in the 70s and 80s and, and was quite well known in that era. And, and he wrote a, a a work called Simulacra and Simulation, um, which became quite a cult work at the time. And in fact, I think was uh, there's a reference to it in, in the Matrix film, isn't there? Mm. Um you mentioned that, didn't you? Tim? Yeah, I think it's right at the beginning. Um, Neo, the main character, uh, is... Um, I can't remember exactly, but it's something like he picks this book off the shelf and inside is is a critical piece of information that kind of is the first bit on the rabbit hole that leads him to realising that his world is actually... The Matrix is actually... Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, it's not real. Is a simulation that he's living in um, and it's all in his head. Um, and it's a kind of a nod by the filmmakers, uh, the Wachowski uh, siblings, who who were kind of very influenced in the writing of that film by some of Baudrillard's thinking about simulation. That's right. Uh, so the fascinating thing about uh, Baudrillard is that he was writing, of course, back in the 1980s when all this digital technology was non-existent. And but he was already seeing the way that um, representations of reality were increasingly taking on uh, greater significance than the reality itself. And he was fascinated about semiotics, the um, philosophy of signs and maps and, and, and so on. And uh, he, the ex sort of examples he latched on to was uh, reality TV, you know, which was, which was taking off at that time. And, and the fact that you could, uh, it wasn't clear whether the relationships that you were seeing expressed in, on the television were actually real or whether they were simulated. And, and there was that famous film, The Truman Show, wasn't that? Mm. That, 
you want to mention that? Yeah, that's another kind of another 1990s around around the same time, a similar time to The Matrix. Um, again, I'm sure many people have watched it. If you haven't, I recommend it. It's um, it's basically uh, as reality TV was taking off, it was kind of riffing on this. And so Truman, the played by Jim Carrey, is he lives what he believes is an ordinary life on a little island off the coast of of America somewhere. But what he doesn't realise is that there's cameras everywhere and everyone who he thinks are his girlfriend, his mother, his co-workers are all actors. And this has all been filmed and broadcast 24 hours a day as a like, kind of immersive 30-year-long reality TV project. And, you know, and so he, he gradually unpicks that his reality is not what it seems. And... Uh, and then he has a kind of decision to make once he realizes, like, is he happier living in the the fake reality TV world, or does he want to break out of the studio and find something more real, more authentic? Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, and of course, it, this has been a uh, a feature of science fiction writing. Um, Philip K. Dick, um, in particular, his novels uh, constantly uh, question this uh, question of what is real, what is a replicant. He he, um, so he he was really one of the first people who developed this idea of replicants who were humanoid robots, but who were so brilliantly constructed that you couldn't tell the difference as to whether it was a real human being, um, and that there were replicants moving around us in society, and therefore then there were people, police, who were hired to to track down the replicants and kill them, and this was the the plot that led to the film The Blade Runner. Uh, but in a brilliant twist, Philip K. Dick said that the replicants were actually implanted with false memories so that even the replicants didn't know they were a replicant. And and in one of his uh, famous short stories, uh, it's all told from the vantage point of this guy who thinks that he's hunting down replicants. And it's only towards the end he, he, he dawns on the fact that actually he is a replicant himself and they're hunting for him. And it's it's brilliantly done, and it's this constant confusion between what is real, what's what's simulated, and so on. And and so Baudrillard is is reflecting on this from a philosophical point of view, and um, he he came up with the idea uh, that there were different stages in the development of uh, simulation, which became increasingly detached from reality, and the, and the devolt ultimately you get what he called the simulacra and. Uh, uh, the simulacrum, which is which is completely divorced from reality, and and in his his work in 1981, simulacra and simulation, he he talks about what he called the procession of the simulacra, you know, and uh, unpicking Baudrillard is is desperately difficult, and I think I've ended up with a, a probably a, a deeply simplified and Baudrillardized version of his, his writing is very dense and. Uh, opaque at many points but but he he comes up with these four um phases uh, which i i found extremely helpful and interesting when it comes to thinking about di digital simulation So almost what you're kind of saying is is Baudrillard was writing this in the 70s and 80s, you know, and he, at that time it was about, he was kind of, the applications such as there are were around things like advertising and reality television. But now 40 years later, with the advent of digital technology, such as the point, you know, we've got today with things like deep fakes and, and artificial intelligence, you're now saying that the technology is actually catching up to some of his 
his theorizing and we can actually use his framework to try and understand better the different ways in which technology can simulate relationship. Yes, and I do think that the, the, the question of simulation and how we think of simulation um, is now becoming extraordinarily important. And, and, you know, from a Christian point of view, I think the theology of simulation, and, and, and to be honest, I think there's a huge gap here. There's a gaping hole that, that Christian thinkers and theologians and philosophers have, have actually rarely grap grappled with this question of, of how we think of, of, of a simulation. Um, there's a, a, a line, there's a, a um, television series called Westworld on American television, um, which is which is actually based on an older science fiction novel, but it it it's it's all set on the idea of a um, a fantasy land where human beings can go and live out their fantasies in a world which is completely run by humanoid robots, and you can do whatever you want with these ro humanoid robots. And surprise, surprise, it turns out that what most human beings want to do with robots is either to kill them and fight them, or else to have sex with them. I mean, why, what else would you possibly want to do with a robot? But, and, and I have to say, it's a very tacky... <laughs> I'm not necessarily recommending watching Westworld for those who have weak stomachs, but, but there's, a, there's a line in it early on in one of the episodes when a, a human being has arrived on, in this fantasy uh, land and this beautiful woman comes up to him and, and basically asks him if there's anything she can do for him. And... This the visitor looks at her and stares at her and says, "Are you real or are you one of those?" And she says to him, "If you can't tell, does it matter?" And I think that fundamental question, if you can't tell the difference between reality and a brilliant simulation, does it really matter? Uh, I, I think that that is a question which haunts me because I think it's a question we're going to have to really grapple with um, as digital simulations become more and more effective. Mm. And if we're thinking here in 2021, seeing um, these kind of deep fakes of celebrity videos as simply the the very, very early, early first fruits of what machine learning and, and computer power is going to do, I, I think you're right that over the next 50 years, Christians are going to be confronted with that question of, if you can't tell, does it matter again and again and again? And I think a lot of us maybe might instinctively say, yes, it does matter. But then the immediate rejoinder from the world, from society, which is embracing this technology will be why. And it's really critically important that we come up with a really compelling and uh, thought through answer to why it does matter. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, th I think many people have a sort of gut feeling that there's something wrong about this uh, and sometimes the word creepy is used um you know for instance and there's another bit of the technology where you could take an old photograph you put it through these ai programs and the photograph comes to life suddenly the person is moving smiling uh, blinking and um and people say you know it's like that's my dead son and he's come alive um, but and, but then often the intuitive response is there's something creepy about this. Um, but trying to disentangle that, just having an intuition that something is creepy is not good enough. If, on the other hand, people are saying, yeah, but it saves so much money and here, look, here are the positive outcomes. Um, so, 
you need a stronger reason to say we shouldn't be doing this from just it doesn't it seems creepy and you know of course there are many examples in the past where christians have opposed television have opposed even the radio or um, steam engine or cars or whatever it is the latest technology and then lo and behold give it another 20 years and christians have just rolled over and said oh this is just okay this is fine no problem So let's go back to Baudrillard then. Uh, what, what's the first phase that he explains when it comes to the simulation? So he, he starts off by saying that in the first order, um, the simulation is, a, is an accurate reflection of a profound underlying reality. He says the image is a good appearance and the representation is of the sacramental order. Um, so it's interesting that he uses this word. He, he wasn't a, a Christian, certainly in any orthodox sense of the word as far as I know but he he says that when the representation is a good appearance it, it it's actually sacramental it has it has some sacramental value to it um, and, and it's interesting to unpick that and think from a Christian point of view a sacrament is a is a visual representation of a hidden of a hidden reality a hidden spiritual reality and and we do understand that those kind of representations, if you just think of the, of the Holy Communion, the, the, what the bread and the wine, it, it, it's a sacrament, it's a representation of something deeply profound and significant, and it's something valuable, it's, it's, a, it's a positive thing. Mm. Another example people often use is the sacrament of baptism, you know, where Christians are lowered into the water and raised out of it. And, you know, you could say, it's it's just a metaphor. Uh, it's just a metaphor for being washed of your sins and kind of raised in new life. But actually, I think the kind of orthodox Christian understanding is that is that it's not that baptism is literally cleansing you, and it's not that if you die unbaptized you go to hell. But actually, it's not simply just an interesting kind of picture. It's it's a it's an analogous. It's it's um it's as you say it's a it's a visible picture of a of an invisible reality that is actually happening to you in a spiritual sense. Yes, and what's more, we need those kind of sacraments. We need, that's why Jesus institutes the breaking of bread, the Holy Communion, because he says, this is my body broken for you. And, and that just having this in our heads as a sort of theoretical concept, because we are physical beings, we need these physical representations. We need something tangible. Uh, that and, and so representation in itself can have a very positive spiritual impact and of course if you take that into the digital world then in in what way might these um, digital representations of people that we're exposed to in what sense might they have a sacramental aspect in what sense might they be a positive representation of reality hmm. so to use a kind of very banal example if i have a, a zoom call with you um, what I'm looking at on my screen looks like it's your face and it's moving and responding to me and making noises. But in truth, I know at the back of my head, it's actually just a collection of pixels on my laptop screen and your actual face is, is 80 miles away in London. But it's actually because it's such a faithful simulation of your actual face 
that when we can have a conversation through the computer and it's profound and meaningful and you can have genuine human interaction and, and conversation. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've all had this experience, haven't we? I mean, many, many Christians have of from the pandemic. So, you know, at All Souls, we used to have a twice every two weeks prayer gathering. Um, but shortly after the pandemic started, a, a, a daily Zoom prayer meeting was started at All Souls, which is still going on now. And I've attended many of those, did it this morning. And what was happening was entirely digital. Um, and, it, and it was a flow of bits of information down across the internet and the recreation of audio and, and, and video images and so on. And yet, you know, we, we all of us who've been part of this daily prayer meeting feel it's a very significant thing of seeing familiar faces, hearing familiar voices, praying together, interceding together, uh, celebrating answers to prayer together. Um, so this this is a, a positive, a sacramental representation of, of the real relationships that are going on there. And interestingly, the digital world has fed it. The, the relationships have become stronger. The prayer has become more meaningful precisely because of the existence of the digital representations. Mm. And as we discussed in last our previous episode about church online, um, there are many millions of Christians, billions of Christians around the world who, because of the pandemic, have had to take part in services that have been online, live streamed or on Zoom or YouTube or whatever. And while they're not the same as meeting physically in person, you know, they are a means of grace. People have met with God. They've met with each other. They've genuinely worshipped. They've really prayed. Uh, they're simulatory in some sense, but there's also a, a strain of authenticity and human about them as well. That's right. So, so I think you know, right from the beginning, we say therefore that the, this this simplistic idea that digital representations are somehow always evil, that that's anything that is not authentically physical, is 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 evil and deceptive, is clearly wrong, and and um, that's why this seeing the positive value of of uh, of how digital relationships can develop and i mean just another example i've had a very moving experience over the last months of uh, having regular weekly meetings with of bioethics seminars with christian medics around the world literally in countries on my screen i've seen you know there's my friend from um, Kenya, there's one from Indonesia and from Papua New Guinea and from um, Brazil and from India and so on. And um, the truth is that the, these friendships have grown entirely um, digitally. We, I don't know these people, I've never met them in the flesh. And yet over the months where we've been meeting every week, there's actually been a very profound um, relationship that's developed and, and we've wept together, we've shared together, we've prayed together. We've 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 really talked about our own personal issues and and um, and this has entirely come out of this digital representation. So it's just another example, I think, of how the very positive ways that we need to grasp as Christians to see the very positive aspects of of this these digital simulations. Unbelievable.